Welcome to Walking Lab's podcast series on walking research creation. This series aims to distill Walking Lab publications and content into audio form. In this podcast, you'll learn about the complex ways that students can engage in walking as a method of inquiry. Walking Lab is co-directed by Stephanie Springay and Sarah E. Truman. You can find print publications at walkinglab.org. While not necessary, the podcasts are designed to be listened to while going for a walk. This walk could take you along an urban river or around a schoolyard. My name's Rebecca Conroy, artist and researcher, and I'll be your host today. Walking Lab organises international walking events, conducts research with diverse publics including youth in schools, and collaborates with artists and scholars to realise site-specific walking research creation events. Walking Lab acknowledges the traditional and unceded territories on which our work takes place. Walking Lab is accountable to Dylan Robinson's insistence that land acknowledgements often operate from a politics of recognition and perpetuate settler colonial logics rather than disrupt them. As will be introduced through the podcast series, Walking Lab asks walkers to consider where they are coming from in relation to Indigenous peoples and territories where they live and work, and to consider why a land acknowledgement is important to them. An outcomes-based approach to education is modelled on colonial notions of mastery and whiteness. Within this framework, both the arts and walking practices are incorporated in schools when they can be proven to make contributions to student creativity, attainment, attention and well-being in the service of specific outcomes. This podcast examines two in-school walking research creation projects that resist outcomes-based models of schooling through a critical use of walking and arts practices. The podcast begins with Hannah Jickling and Helen Reed's Upside Down and Backwards, which was a month-long artist residency in an urban elementary school and part of a research creation project called The Pedagogical Impulse, directed by Stephanie Springay. Documentation of this project can be found at thepedagogicalimpulse.com. The artists worked with grade three and six teachers and the students, who were predominantly newcomers to Canada and socially and financially marginalised, to develop a series of research creation projects that ask questions about entanglements between nature and culture, citizenship and belonging. The project also intervened into the sentimental colonial nostalgia for landscape painting and nature that persists in the Canadian elementary curriculum. Landscape paintings often represent the Canadian landscape as a pristine and unoccupied wilderness, and settler colonisers as heroic explorers. In Upside Down and Backwards, Jickling and Reed introduce the students to contemporary art that critically explores the Canadian landscape and offers counter-images. For instance, Cree artist Kent Mockman's paintings, which reenact iconic landscape paintings while telling stories of Indigenous genocide, or Ian Baxter's reflective souvenirs, which disrupt the binary between the self and the natural, allowing the viewer to see themselves as part of nature. These in-school lessons shape the basis for the walking research creation projects. Landscape art is often used idealistically to reconnect students with nature. Similarly, Sheila McLean contends that outdoor education programs are often framed as methods for reconnecting students with nature. 
In outdoors education, students are sometimes presented with environmental problems such as climate change, but without attending to how capitalism, white supremacy and settler colonialism are part of environmental degradation. In this way, the uptake of walking in education fails to consider its role in white settlers' claim to land. Karen Malone suggests that these pedagogical methods situate nature as inanimate, children as separate to nature, and humans as dominant over nature. Moreover, Malone argues that families and communities who don't engage with particular forms of nature-based learning are often described as depriving their children. Such problematic understandings of nature and landscape promote particular versions of citizenship, nationalism and belonging, in which some bodies are already marked as either natural or unnatural. McLean contends that while place-based environmental curricula imply decolonisation, they are portrayed as a place for white bodies to escape crowded urban spaces and reclaim their innocence. This was reflected in the students' personal experiences where landscape was defined as specifically Canadian, outside of urban Toronto, and not something that they had personally experienced or were welcomed into. Margaret Somerville and Monica Green contend that post-human place-based and environmental educational research requires an attention to intimacy, to counter the idea of nature as distinct from culture. In Upside Down and Backwards, the teacher and artist started from the proposition of intimacy. In one project, students walked with round mirrors the size of an average child's head. Students posed for photographs with the mirrors in front of their faces to reflect landscape, sky or other objects such as brick walls. This resulted in a series of student portraits in which faces became entangled with nature. Intimacy here is not a human-centric model of care, where students got to know their local environment or learnt about sustainability. Rather, intimacy becomes acts that intervene and make visible students' entanglements within a landscape. This contests the idea of nature as white, innocent, empty and separate. In another example, students walked Toronto's Don River. The walks meandered through familiar paths and neighbourhoods, Typically, nature-based learning, as explained by Malone, asserts that nature is something distinct from culture, urbanisation and humans. Landscape, in the Canadian context, is often associated with the wilds of national parks, not inner-city spaces such as the Don River. In walking with the Don, the students moved with the intimate contours of landscape. In another project, the classes walked to Brickworks Park, the students walked with Eleanor Widden's rear-view walking sticks. The walking sticks consist of discarded rear-view car mirrors attached to large tree branches, which allow the user to see behind them on the path. They symbolise walking on rugged terrain where additional support is necessary. However, using them on human-made boardwalks and paths seemed absurd. Similarly, as navigation devices, looking behind you while walking forward obscured the student's sight, complicating issues of safety and orienteering. Jack Habelstam argues that success, mastery and heteronormativity can be countered with approaches that embrace the absurd, the silly and the hopelessly goofy. Habelstam contends that, in education, 
Seriousness, rigorousness and disciplinary training confirms what is already known in advance. The walking sticks were unnecessary in a gentrified parkland, yet disrupted the assumption that there is a need to know how to behave, to know in advance how to walk in landscapes. These absurdities were punctured by the students' reflections caught in other students' mirrors. Not one student with one reflection, but a multitude of diffracted bodies interrupting the landscape and walking. In contrast to dominant images of landscape as wild and empty, Upside down and backwards swarmed with children's bodies moving, walking, dancing, talking, laughing and sometimes screaming. The students' portraits and their walking with experiments explore land and body, nature and culture, not as severed but as entangled with colonisation, immigration, urbanisation and pollution. Working against the history of Canadian landscape where landscapes are captured devoid of humans – The walking with events contest notions of citizenship and identity and the easy separation of nature, self and culture. Let's now explore the second in-school project. Sarah E. Truman's Derive Through These Chartered Halls was a four-month in-school research creation event with a diverse cohort of Grade 9 English students in Cardiff, Wales, United Kingdom. The students examined the relationship between walking as a method for generating content, as a narrative device or a literary theme. They also critically challenged outcomes-based approaches to walking in education, where walking is framed as a method for inciting creativity and for improving literacy. Rather than structuring the project around an outcome-focused assessment of literacy, the research creation events of the project focused on the ethical political concerns that emerged through the students' walking, reading and writing. Students would walk while completing readings and writing related to different prompts. On one project, the students walked with the idea of the derive or drift. Many walking scholars and artists have used versions of the derive borrowed from the situationists, to remap space. The students were intrigued by the notion that within a derive, the idea is to drop usual relations and set out to explore appealing and repelling places. The students were eager to try this out in their school, although, as one student noted, the places of repulsion may outweigh the places of attraction. Several students also commented that deliberately walking or drifting in some places in the city and at certain times of the day may be dangerous, particularly for racialized and gendered bodies, and acknowledged how walking scholarship and schooling still assumes the cis-white-enabled male body as the norm. During the students' drifts through the school, they created literary maps of their effective experiences of space and place. Mapping is a common practice in school curricula, where students might, for instance, map the topology of school space using drawings and place names, such maps are usually representational. The students' literary maps, on the other hand, are created using a variety of literary devices, including metaphor, assonance, lists, exaggeration, rhyme and synesthesia, and they can't be easily used to physically locate oneself within the school. Rather, they are counter-archival, in that they mark out the students' sensory and subjective understandings of place and are open to constant modification. 
You can find out more about counter-archiving and counter-mapping in previous podcasts in this series. The students' literary maps point at the multiple tensions of walking with, inside and outside of school space, illustrating how bodies at the intersection of gender and race are already marked as out of place, and as such how walking and movement are always constrained, disciplined and codified. One of the literary devices used to create the narrative maps was synesthesia, which is when writers use one sense to describe another. The student's synesthesia derive disrupted the habitual use of language to describe smell, taste, touch, sight and sound, and instead conveyed students' experience of place in complex ways. For example, one student scribbled on their map, salted sweat grunted out of limbs. Another wrote, the air takes on a different taste, sweet and hazy. Splinters of the soft brown shades linger humid on my eyelids. Other literary devices included listing. The use of listing as a literary device links seemingly disparate agents into a tense unity. For example, one student mapped a stairwell in the school's interior. Thunder of feet, rough walls, high climb, food falls, spider webs, peaky holes, cold air, bell tolls. Lists function similar to Deleuze and Guattari's partial objects. Partial objects are pieces of a puzzle belonging not to any one puzzle, but to many, and so simultaneously hint at both gaps and connections. The synesthetic maps and the lists reveal the ways that students understand institutional space and its effect on student bodies and learning. Another walking and mapping technique included the renaming of school spaces. For example, the office became Swivel Chair Blues, and the examination room became data source with no exit. These humorous descriptions evoke what Hubblestom calls the toxic perversity of contemporary life, where success and progress continue to marginalise students labelled as at-risk, urban and outside of mainstream culture. As Sarah Ahmed notes, to be affected by an object is not just to experience that individual object, but also whatever surrounds that object. In this way, chairs and stairwells, which might seem less important in school than standardised tests and assessment reports, move into the centre and link up with other connective devices on the maps. While the field of literacy studies in education has expanded to include environmental literacies as well as emotional and place literacies, literacy still functions through an inclusionary logic where particular people are deemed illiterate. Like the discussion of landscape earlier, which continues to demarcate nature as white and neutral, and as such, marking racialised students as unnatural, literacy in the West continues to function as a white, civilising process that neutralises, sanitises and commodifies language skills. Literacy in schools in the West is built around a white supremacist monoculture. To be literate means to know in advance what literacy is, and how to perform literate acts. The students' literary maps of the school mapped students' understandings of how language functions to control and dehumanise students. Walking with in the school became a method for exploring inside and outside of school place collectively, to consider the ways that language is already presupposed and predetermined in advance. 
walking with, as a mapping practice, shifts literacy from its concern about particular coded meanings towards intensities and their effects. The students' maps create intimate diagrams of school places that don't represent place, but rather entangle their relations with learning, institutions and literary practices. Walking with can be a significant and important method for working with students in educational contexts, but only if it is used critically. Walking is sometimes taken up as a slow, antiquated and embodied way of moving through space in order to counter what is perceived to be the negative effects of digital technologies on young people's lives. Walking becomes a way to reconnect with place and people and is valued because of its affiliation with understandings of health and environmental consciousness, purity and its perceived accessibility. Moreover, in pandemic times, educators are increasingly looking to outdoor models of learning, including walking, as a safer way to learn. Yet, as we discussed in podcast number two, discussions of place rarely take into consideration the ongoing dispossession of Indigenous peoples, people of colour and ethnic minorities. In Truman's project, the intersectionality of gender, race and ethnicity was discussed by the students as limiting where they could safely walk, including on routes to and from school. When walking is valued for its health benefit or inherent relation to creativity or used to promote green initiatives in schools, the legacies of walking as white, male, autonomous and as part of ongoing settler colonialism remain intact. As discussed in Jickling and Reed's project, Walking and nature, rationalised through discourses of disconnection and reconnection, is part of the production of white subjectivity that continues to reinscribe a separation between nature and culture, human and non-human, landscape and other. Walking is never simple, slow or benign. Walking with is complex, unruly and political. Thank you for listening to Walking Lab's podcast series on walking research creation. You can find out more about the projects discussed in this podcast at thepedagogicalimpulse.com and walkinglab.org. Subscribe to the RSS feed so you can be notified whenever a new podcast drops. Walking Lab is funded by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada 